0: is gunner i play in a local austin band called the big gun show and i created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters musicians and artists and lovers of music to talk about their top five records that have inspired their lives and musical prowess i took a brief pause a hiatus if you will but i'm back i've really been missing doing these podcasts as it not only turns me on to the new music that i now love but hearing why the podcastees actually chose their top five records now, as season two does continue, I'm thrilled to have John Chipman on the show today. He's been playing music professionally for over 25 years. and has played with an insane amount of musicians, from The Resentments, who I so love, um, Slade Cleaves, Band of Heathens, David Grissom, who I think defines what Texas blues really is, and of course my favorite, Kelly McWee. If you ask me, I think he's uh, one of the top three drummers here in Austin. He's toured numerous times in Europe and the Far East. And he moved to Austin after studying music and graduating from the University of Oklahoma. In 2007 2008, Austin Chronicle Music Awards, he won Best Drummer. Um, in Modern Drummer, he passes along some tidbits of what he has learned from other musicians. Number one, never ask of music. When you expect music to do things for you, it will not happen. Music itself is the reward. If any success or fame comes as a result of playing music, be forever thankful because you have already experienced more than 95% of the people who have ever picked up a pair of drumsticks. Number two, the fewer notes you play, the more money per note you're making. Save your big stuff for the last chorus of the last song in the encore. Number three, never play in a trio with a husband and wife. And number four, never cop an attitude. There's always somebody better than you. If you see someone who might not be up to your personal yardstick, watch even closer. They'll teach you something you didn't know. Well, late in Season 1, I implemented quizzes into the mix, and this will continue on future podcasts as we uh, move forward. And don't matter what I'm going to ask. It's all fun and smiles. Now, if you're digging on this, what we're laying down here, please give us a review on iTunes. Uh, you can find my top five records pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. But if you were to give a star for each one of your top five records on the Apple iTunes platform, that's five stars, uh, be super appreciated. Uh, Let's get to this conversation. But first, close your eyes. You're at the Grand Canyon. What five records do you have? All right, today, stoked to have John Chipman here with me uh, to talk about his top five records. Hi, John. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. I'm, going to be, I'm excited about our conversation today. So you had today, you've picked uh, five records, and they were epic. I just told you that the reason I love doing this podcast is because I get to get turned on to new music that I haven't really listened to. Now, granted, I did listen to London Calling. I've done that sure, quite a few times, and I have a podcast you need to listen to. Oh, right on. Um, so that's by The Clash. You've also picked Bright Side Life by Pat Metheny, mm-hmm. um, John Schofield Hand Jive, loved it. Big World, Joe Jackson. Now I'm going down a Joe Jackson rabbit hole. I went back and listened to whole Sharp album because I just had to. Right on. I didn't. It's, it's just nice to see these other sides of these players. And then a really killer instrumental, like what do you call it? Just improv improvisation, and for like hours, it's insane. But that was Keith Jarrett. Yeah, Keith Jarrett. Right on. And I do have a question before we start.
1: Yeah. Where are you taking these records? I'm taking these records to. Uh, the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And what are you gonna do with them? I'm gonna have them playing on my uh, my headphones as I hike down to the bottom and back up again. There you go. Love it. All right. Cool. All right. Let's which t- I'm doing this summer. Are you really? Yeah, taking the family. Oh, cool. Kids have never been. I've never been. It's been a, it's been a pipe dream of mine for decades. So we're going. I've never even seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're 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 headed there.
0: Cool. Man. I've been doing all
1: the research. Yeah. I
0: bet. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you say we start off with uh, John Schofield's "Hand Jive"? I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna tell you what. You, what I loved about when you picked your records is that you said you gave me a little blurb, right, of what that what it was. And you said this this was his en- ensemble with Bill Stewart on drums. Many drummers my age were Neil Pert devotees. Bill Stewart spoke to me smoother than gravy sandwich. <laughs> so it was released in 19. Uh, the studio album released in 1994. Yeah. Uh, so. My first question to you is, do you consider yourself a jazz drummer? Because a lot of this stuff is jazzy.
1: No. No, I don't. Okay. Uh, I really don't either. I've made myself, I've made a living playing for singer-songwriters, mostly. I've done a few bands, but, um, you know, I grew up with uh, an older brother who was just a, a stellar tenor sax player, went to North Texas. Okay. So, like a lot of younger siblings do... I would go in, you know, it's back in the days when we had cassettes. Uh-huh. An LPs, oh, no, I remember those days and steal that shit from him. <laughs> and I would go back into my room and listen to it. and so he would go off to college and come back with stuff and I'd be just snarfing it up right. And uh, you know, always wanting to look cool in my brother's eyes. You know he would br- he would mention a song or something off the record and I'd start chiming in about it. He's like, oh, you got it in my records again. <laughs> <laughs> Not just your cassettes. Your eight tracks, yes. Do you you remember eight tracks? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. In fact, I uh, my very first car I bought was a '93 Jeep Wagoneer. Uh, my freshman year after college, and I was driving back from Southern California, and this Jeep Wagoneer had an eight track player in it. So I stopped off at a flea market near Needles, California. What'd and, you get? And they had Fleetwood Mac rumors. Awesome. But. Only the third track would play.
0: <laughs> See, four it.
1: tracks. That's why it was like it was like a dollar, right? Yeah. So I heard like the same two and a half songs like 17 times before I launched it out the window somewhere in New Mexico. <laughs> that's great. I love that.
0: But I mean, what an awesome album.
1: Oh, fantastic. It's you know, like...
0: It, one of the first albums I, I had is growing up. Yeah. Well, so what I really loved about this album is, you know, that it was like Joe Lovano left Schofield and his quartet in like the early 90s. And, you know... Uh, he didn't really go back to try to get some new blood. He went to, like, veteran saxophonists. Yeah. And, I mean, Eddie Harris.
1: Yeah. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. And that song, Do Like Eddie. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so good. It's so, <laughs> so good. good.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and then, you know, I mean, S- I mean, Scofield was already playing, you know, funky mu- music, and then here comes, here comes Eddie and just drops just it right on top of well, it. Well, in this
1: <laughs> album, really, I mean, from just briefly before this, he was playing really... More fusiony, it was uh-huh. heavier, a little more distorted. That's yeah. He had Dennis Chambers playing drums, who was a monster. And uh, you know, this is the album that turned me on to to Bill Stewart. And um, I felt like a dog that had been a card trick.
0: <laughs>
1: I was just like hearing the way that this guy played drum set to me was like unlike any drummer I'd ever heard yeah, before. He's, just he's so badass. incredibly greasy and smooth. And when you, if you go online and watch video of him playing. He's a little awkward looking sometimes. Right. And you're like, it doesn't equate. It's like this smooth, beautiful, just flowing drums. This guy up there is a little herky-jerky. I could equate it to watching Schniz play. He's one of my favorite drummers in Austin. Yeah. The guy is the funkiest guy in the world. And I remember watching him play once. And that vocal. Oh God, he's 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 fantastic. The guy should really do a solo album with him singing lead and playing drums on it. Yeah. I think it would be fantastic. But I'd watch him play, and it didn't look like what I was hearing. Right, but man, is that guy funky! Oh, he's well, so we good. Was in the
0: Scabs? Oh yeah, I yeah. used to uh, tend a bar up north, and I would just like drive, on Tuesday nights drive all the way down there, get there by midnight, and.
1: Did you ever hear the Jerky Lee stuff?
0: the jerk no oh jerky lee jerky lees jerky lees no but is that who was us was in that that
1: was papa molly bruce hughes and him
0: i need to check that out
1: oh yeah it's great (laughs) um okay so this album uh, Mm -hmm.
0: talk to me about bill Stewart. i I know you said that you know he kind of just i mean this it sounds to me like you know you heard him and, and granted when I listened to it, I tried to listen to the drums like heavily on a lot of these albums, because, or every one of them, because I wanted to see if it was the drummer or the songs or whatever was what inspired you.
1: Well, that the whole record. Um, the, the interplay between Eddie and John Schofield is just fantastic. Um, I was really turned on with these tunes. Uh, there's a song in there, The Seventh Floor, which is in seven, Ah, but it it
0: doesn't feel like it is. No. And I I actually have a note that I wrote down to myself, Bill Stewart on drum solo at the end. So good. Oh yeah. I I mean.
1: and and, And this is when we were talking about if I only had five albums, well this is the one that really got me into, really into Schofield and into Bill Stewart. And there's so many fantastic albums after that. And Bill Stewart still plays with him. Awesome. And I've got a live record that was bootlegged uh, in Europe. That's a live concert of them with that quartet. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's Steve Swallow pay- playing bass, but I don't remember. Don't know. But uh, anyway, it's the four of them, Lovano, Bill Stewart, Steve Swallow, and, and uh, Schofield. And this live record has three songs on it.
0: They're, <laughs> they're each
1: like 20 minutes long. And there's a live version of the tunes, uh, the Schofield tune, Chariots, on there. And they just go southwest of Neptune. Nice. They just go way off. And there's a, a Bill Stewart solo on there that is just epic. It's so good. Yeah. Well, the good thing about
0: this is that now when I need to ask you, okay, I want to get into some more John Schofield, I can call you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing like I, I interviewed. Do you know John Spong? I do not. Uh, he worked for Texas Monthly. He pretty much curated the entire issue of The Willie. Oh, right on. And so we did a special offshoot episode of. He picked his top three, Really, I picked mine and we discussed them. Oh, right on. We overlapped on phases and stages. Very cool. But he picked uh, Stardust, which, oh, what a great album. Um, so this record, I, I just got such like a, a true organic vibe from it. Like I, I, I could see, I could close my eyes, see them in the studio playing it and all smiling and laughing with each other.
1: Yeah, there's no, you know, there's no studio tricks, there's no, Uh, there's no sense. there's no, you know, it's just, it's just these guys getting together and playing. Yep, it is. And, you know, playing music like that, you can't go in and do overdubs. It's the way they're playing off of one another. Agreed, live in the room. You know, and, uh, it's really at the top of its game. And I like this album because there's, there's some pseudo kind of funk, there's some pseudo New Orleans vibe. Mm -hmm. Um... It's just yeah, it's like I said. It's it's the one that I, I listen to that m- most Sunday mornings. Nice. That's at least part of that album, four or five tracks from that album are on my little Sunday morning playlist. There you go, yeah. right on. And listen to it forever. Yeah,
0: so you know, it's uh, I mean, he he's a very accomplished guy, and like on the song "I'll Take Less," I love how it starts off with that like Pink Panther vibe, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then uh, well, uh, on "She's So Lucky," the keyboard solo is just like insane. She's so lucky. That's a bump bum, 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 bum. Yeah, I think that's ding, it. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. And and then, then checkered past the double the keyboard with you know doubling with Eddie Sachs. Yeah. It's just like, come on, man, you can't do this.
1: And there's that the, the mm. solo on do like Eddie at the end where he goes, but it 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 and he stays on that phrase forever. <laughs> yeah. But then every time he goes to that tail end call in response to it, it just gets weirder and weirder. Yeah. He gets a little more out each time. It's just fantastic. But what tone that guy has. I mean, he's, it's like unmistakable. Like his his saxophone playing, you hear uh-huh. the notes come off him, you could tell it's him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that kind of leads into the next record. Um, Bright Size Life by Pat Metheny. Oh, yeah. Okay. You had said his tribute, his debut trio, trio with Bob Moses on drums and the soon-to-be-worshipped Hako Pastorius on bass. I literally wore this one LP and one concert. Out. Oh, yeah. One LP and one concert of this. So, you know, in 1920, excuse me, uh, in 2020, 2020, the album was deemed culturally culturally historical or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress. Um, wow, I had no idea. Yeah. It and, should be. Uh, put in the National Recording Registry. And, I mean, I when Hako was in there, I mean, I... I, f- I felt like it was almost featuring him at times. It's the two of those guys playing off one another, is... and this was when when he was young. I mean, they, they were both super young. They were like
1: early twenties, yeah. You know, and you know, of course, Jocko met an, a really untimely demise, um, and it was it was really sad and horrific. Um, but you hear him on that record, and. You never heard bass played like that. Right. Just never. Well um, it's so Pat had
0: said everywhere you go, you hear is it Jocko or Hucko? Jocko. Jocko's sound, from the latest TV commercial to bass players mm-hmm. of all stripes, comping his licks on recordings of all styles. You hear the echoes of that unmistakably star style everywhere. Jocko at his best
1: defines what the world word jazz really means. Absolutely. You know, he was uh, I have to say, you can judge how great a person is by how many people on their instrument they ruined later. <laughs> Be- you know, it's, add- like, it's like how many guitar players you, by the thousands tried to play like Stevie Ray Vaughan? Yes. How many bass players tried to play like Jocko? Right. You know, and, and on and on. And, you know, I knew so many bass players that that wanted to play that. Well, he ripped the frets out of his bass. Yeah. Literally. He, I mean, he was and, like the first guy to do that Yeah And uh, the guy was so lyrical And But you know He also played in rock bands Before that you know, He played with Mitch Ryder Yeah Yeah And uh, you know Later with Joni Mitchell uh, uh, She's
0: made the top Five records twice
1: Yeah well It's incredible but I don't you know? get it And that's not why, a jo- Are you not a I'm Joni not, fan
0: I'm not yet I'm I'm begging for somebody To turn me on Just like I, To be honest with you I'm not a big D- Bob Dylan fan Right but people are picking it, and so I'm I'm trying.
1: Sure. Well, that's good. You know, you're at least yeah. you're willing to expand your horizons. That's this. That's what, A that's lot what of, this whole podcast this is about. about. A lot of people don't do that.
0: Yeah. Um. So Andy Allerdort for Guitar Extra interviewed Pat, and he said uh, to m- to me, Jim Hall was really the father, not just for me, but almost for all other young guitar players, including John Scofield, Bill Frisell, right. uh, John Abercrombie, Mick Goodrick. I love that he says John Scofield. Uh, all of us are very much descendants of the th- all the things that he discovered, and all of us have real strong things that we love to do. They're almost directly taken from this record. It's cut. So, uh, so, uh, so
1: good. You know, and my, my brother was the first person to turn me on to Pat Metheny, and it was actually the album First Circle, um, which is a genius record, but that's when Pat Metheny started delving off in the world of the Fairlight Computer. Okay. Um, and if you remember those, they were basically big what, sampling synthesizers. What year was were, this? This was in the mid eighties. Okay. And you know, a Fairlight Computer cost, it like, was like 80 grand. Right. Um, and so First Circle was a, a complete departure from still uh, from Bright Side's life. Cause it was, there was, it was him featuring Lyle Mays on piano and a drummer named Paul Werdico and it's definitely more modern. Okay. It's, it, it borderlines, some people say, Fusakish. ish Yeah, there you go. I love it. I think it's fantastic. But the first song on the whole record is called Forward March. And he takes the Fairlight computer and basically does a tribute to like a 7th grade middle school band trying to play a March song. And it's, <laughs> okay. it's the funniest thing that you've ever heard. And it's totally not relevant to anything on the rest of the record. I thought it was like the weirdest choice to have as an opening cut for a record. But I went backwards from there yeah, and got this record. And um... So here's what
0: um, he said in the interview. He said, at the time the record came out, it didn't get all that much attention. Mm-hmm. It kind of got mixed reviews. I have different perspective of it now than I did then because to tell you the truth, after we did Bright Size Life, I couldn't listen to it for about seven years. <laughs> I thought it was terrible. And I went okay. That was fun. Hako, Jaco was really wild. It was the first time he'd seen Europe, and he was really high energy. Blah 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 blah. He said, "I can play better than this." And every blah blah. blah. And then so you know, from my perspective, now 15 years later, that's probably one of the best records I've ever made. And what uh, I what I think is, I think that just goes to show that creativity stands stands the test of time. It's not always appreciated at first.
1: Right. Totally. You know, and uh, for, from the opening track, I mean, even though know, you go through. Uh, unity village or missouri uncompromised uh like missouri uncompromised is almost like a folk melody mm-hmm. going on with totally. really heavy changes underneath it the, the melody though wasn't that outside it's right. not like a, it's not accessible but you know the title track um it's out there yeah and um the way they get to you know like the the final chord on that song da, 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 blah, it's like the uh-huh. most dissonant thing in the whole song and you wonder what i wonder why they made that choice or why or if it was a choice they did a take and they just happened to land on like well that was the best one yeah, you know yeah. because you never quite heard and he's playing like a minor second two notes right next to each other so it's real dissonant yeah, yeah. on the guitar and you're just like well, i wonder where that came from right, <laughs> right exactly right But to hearing him and Jocko go back and forth and the way Jocko accompanies Pat when Pat's soloing, he always finds, uh, I I hate to use the superlative, but like the perfect spot to interject. And then Pat does the same thing with him, just hear these guys playing back and forth. And it was also my first experience hearing Bob Moses. Okay. Um, And his playing is so, oh God, how do you describe it? It's very angular. He's very... He's not playing pocket. He's not, like, playing time. Right. He is accompanying the phrase work right along with those guys, mm-hmm. and they're all on the same boat. Yeah. Doing the exact same thing and working off of one another. And uh, yeah, I just love it. You know, it's... Yeah. It's well, my, I'm just not even going to ask you the quiz question because it's kind of silly. Um,
0: Who was not in the trio for the debut record? And my... my, my it's A, Jaco Pastores. Uh, be Bob Moses or C- Steve Jordan.
1: Yes, it wasn't Steve. But it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if he produced it, though. He's become yeah. such a oh, producer. Man. I, I mean, give me a break. <laughs> that guy can do anything. I know. He's incredible, isn't he? oh uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've well, seen the excerpts. I didn't get to see The Stones this last thing, but I've seen some excerpts on stage and just what a beautiful, amazing tribute. Yeah. he pulled off for, for Charlie. Charlie. Uh, it was unbelievable to listen well, to him. Charlie actually stuff. told Keith, he said, you know, when they were going on hiatus,
0: he goes, if you're going to go do something solo, Steve Jordan's the man. Right, yeah. And he is the man. And, oh, he's incredible. And he's done so much with Keith. And so,
1: You know, there's a couple albums of early on, you remember Belushi and Eckerd had the Blues uh-huh. Brothers Band. <laughs> yeah, And course, they actually yeah. put out two live albums. They did. And Steve Jordan's playing on both of those. And his drumming. I didn't know that. Is ridiculous. <laughs> it's so good. He, he, <laughs> it's so good.
0: Yeah, I mean. So, question for you: How do you do? You admire or do you like understand bass better than guitar? Being a drummer.
1: It's my favorite instrument. Basses. Yeah. When I can I know when I come back in my next life, I'll be a bass player. I would love. I love the bass guitar too. Yeah.
0: I love the rhythms you can do with it, but I can't sing. Right. And I write all the songs, so I have to. You
1: know. I love bass. I don't, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, there's something about it that it, there's just so much power. But like, was it, I think that, uh, was it, was it Spock that said with great power comes great responsibility? <laughs> it's one of those from a movie. Well, I always like to say, do you know what the, um,
0: what Spock found in his toilet? Yeah captain's log hey (laughs) 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 all right let's talk about keith jarrett this was a a, a phenomenal record um you said the greatest pianist in my book the album was only one of many concerts where keith jarrett's jarrett would walk on stage start improvising staggering musically and dexterously. um it was actually two concerts this one was yeah it it was in bremen yeah uh, but that doesn't really matter. Yeah, it was it was epic, and I, I mean, I'd never listened to this album. I've never even listened to Keith Jarrett at all. I didn't right. even know who he was, and blown away. Uh, I'm am, I'm am now a fan. That is for sure. And so, one of the things that I loved how he did it was he was playing different rhythms with each hand the whole time.
1: It seemed oh, like his his faculties are off the planet. It was it, 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 his, his hands, hands. Each of his hands has their own brain. And they work independent of one another. And, I mean, who can improvise for an hour mm-hmm. straight? And you know, uh, uh, so my buddy Trevor Nealon, uh in the band of Heathens, mm-hmm. Trevor, uh, we were up in Tacoma, where he and he and Seth, the bass player, were from that that part of Washington, and we were staying at Trevor's parents' house when we were on tour. And I woke up one Sunday morning and I went into the kitchen and nobody was up but Trevor was sitting there. <coughs> And over the speakers, I'm hearing this piano. So I'm just sitting there listening. I was like, man, this is this is beautiful. Who is this? And he goes, Oh bro. <laughs> this is Keith Jarrett. You know, and Trevor being a piano player, immediately is like, Okay. He went and took his entire digital library of Keith Jarrett and just dumped it over to my computer when we got home. Right. He's like, You won't get through this in five years. And yeah. <laughs> and I'm still listening to that one. I've 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 gone through and listened to every record, but with that stuff, you can't. You can put it on casually in the background and have it be ambiance music, but there's so much beautiful stuff going on that you really want to sit down in front of a great set of speakers, close your eyes, and just absorb it all. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of
0: like I mean, the way that he would do that, you know, with a brain in each hand, which I love. I think that's a beautiful analogy. Um, of how Keith Richards, when he first heard uh, Robert Johnson, he was like, who's playing with him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. who's playing those bait you know and i mean big influence on him oh yeah no i mean question for you how um
1: do you know how many instruments he can play i think it's just the piano keith Jarrett. yeah
0: (sighs) i i it's gotta be more than piano
1: i would say yeah but i'm unaware if he plays other instruments Mm. but you know he so he's got an amazing trio now keith can no longer play anymore right stroke right uh yeah and uh, he lost the the left hand i believe he can't use it which is just tragic but for the longest time he had this amazing trio with jack dejeanette playing drums Mm -hmm. and gary peacock on bass um and uh uh that's where i kind of knew keith jarrett from i knew him as a jazz pianist well when you listen to this record it's there's jazz in there a lot but then there's gospel. Yeah, yeah. There's R and B, there's there's all sorts of different styles and he just seamlessly goes from one to the next. Yeah, and it's it, it
0: it's crazy how, how he does it. I mean, it's like you, you don't even see it coming, you don't see you don't see you don't know he's gonna do it. He's just it's completely like off the off the cuff.
1: Well and the op- and you know, and basically it's just a series of melodic <laughs> themes that he expounds on. And mm-hmm. that first one that opens up, it's so lonely and beautiful. That. Well, I mean, I can hear the whole thing. Yeah. And then each time he passes through that, something changes. Mm hmm. And then he all of a sudden starts going into this stride piano thing, or not really stride, but this walking bass part in the left hand while still playing those changes and all the, it's, it's, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's sometimes like, okay, somebody's walking up behind him with another pair of hands. (laughs) There's no way that one guy can do that.
0: Uh, so, uh, one critic called it Jarrett's masterpiece two Titanic improvised performances. Um, In jazz.com, the same critic said, uh, rated it 100 for 100. He said, um, jazz musicians have always emphasized improvisation in their work, but few have taken this uh, reliance on spontaneous creation to the lengths Jarrett has in his solo concerts. He pioneered the concept of an entirely improvised piano recital, wholly inspired by the muse of the moment. Mm -hmm. But if the concept is exciting, Jarrett's execution of this ambitious idea is even more impressive. It's jaw-dropping. It's (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's it's unbelievable is it, what it is. is
1: yeah yeah it is um and, and you know this is now I, I think that he might he panned some because you gotta remember he did the sunbear concert series uh which came ooh, I'm trying to remember the year that this one came out uh this might have been after the sunbear series oh no no this was 74 73 uh but then he did this whole series of these concerts in Japan. Really. He's got the Sapporo concert, Nagoya, Tokyo, Kyoto, and there and there's like six or seven of them that he just walks out on stage and starts doing doing his thing. And then he did several in Europe, mm-hmm. and just the whole, like I said, he, here's a guy that grew up. He was classically trained. Uh, he had to have been. Yes, because you can hear you can hear in in his chops in his execution and his dexterity and uh you know he, he, it's mind-boggling and then diving off at some point in his life into jazz theory mm. and exploration of tonalities yeah. you know which jazz really did um and combining the best of both of those worlds where you know I hear this album I just I just I have a soft spot in my heart for it. It's such a beautiful piece of work. It is. Well, I mean, you've already made me a fan, so... Right on.
0: Uh, Okay. I'm really looking forward to talking about these last two albums here. Right on. Um, Big World by Joe Jackson. Live record, no post-mixing either. Out of print, unfortunately, my favorite Joe Jackson by far. Um, Released in 86. Um, You know, he was... He, he got to the point where he didn't want to really do the singles anymore. Mm-hmm. He didn't want that overproduced thing. So that's when he, you know, told everybody, be, you know, be quiet, make sure that you're, you don't applaud before it ends and stuff like that. But I mean, after listening to that, I went back and instead of listening to one of your next records and doing the research that I needed to do, I went and listened to stepping out. Right. And I, and I, I, I've never really kind of experienced that. I mean, I listened to it a lot like when I was in college, right. But, and I always remembered, you know, she really going out with him. That's, oh that, yes that's, that's a great hit it, it's it was it was a super hit yeah but you know i mean he was doing all pretty much new material on this album
1: mm-hmm. and there's a th- there is a definite theme running from song to song uh-huh. to song to song on this and you know it's the first time that i'd heard a record like that um and you know with the album being called big world well every song takes on a deliberate flavor from some portion of the world yeah you can hear it in the tonality but then also he's incredibly uh incredibly biting with his lyrics sometimes mm-hmm. yes. jet set all just talking about how awful American tour star, which yep. is true. <laughs>
0: you know, you know, you think they're loud or something? Yeah,
1: I know. And, uh, but the wit with the way he writes the stuff is fantastic. Uh, and also the, the song 40 years on there, you know, uh-huh. we're living it right now, you know, uh, Russia and the U S squaring off once again, Yeah. you know, and everybody else is the pawns in our chess match. Yep. You know it's, but uh I no I, I love that record. Uh, Gary Burke's playing uh, the drummer on that. It's so rock solid. Uh, and Wild West, you know the yeah. opening cut on there where you hear that that guitar. It goes for a long time, and it's almost like a penny whistle. I know it's a synth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and you're like, well, what's going on here? And he basically pins in one song. The song representing Manifest Destiny, if there ever was one. Right. That's a great description of it. You know, the American, hey, this is ours. Here we come. We're coming to take this. And, uh, you know, a lot of times as Americans, the proud people we are, do not like hearing that. And there's a lot of people, a lot of, uh, I think Joe Jackson had limited success in America because he wasn't afraid to go say his feelings about certain things. Yeah. Yeah. And he was different. He was totally different. You know? uh, the coolest
0: thing about this album, in my opinion, was the fact that it was mixed live from microphones on each of the music instruments and sent directly to stereo digital tape recorder with no post recording mixing or overdubs. Yeah, that's and that's incredible because that is album, insane. That it is, sounds so good. It, it it does, and I'm just blown away by that. And I'm I, I here's my question to you: How long do you think it took him? How much prep time do you think it took him and his band to get it like that?
1: You know i think when you're when you're when you're dealing with players of that caliber i don't know necessarily that they had to spend exponential hours rehearsing their parts uh because they're just super high quality players these are really 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 great musicians uh but What's amazing is the fact that you listen and you never at one point like, oh, my God, that's too loud. Or, oh, that's, you know, the the, the mix is all wrong. Right. This is a a group of musicians that have played together a lot and they know what their sound is on stage.
0: Correct. But I'm not even talking about like the sound and the levels and everything like that, because that's that's just as important to this. You don't have to get mm-hmm. that right mix if you don't get it right. Right.
1: Right. And so I'm I'm curious to know
0: if they, I just don't know. I would love to know exactly how they did it and
1: I'm that you know and I don't know. Like I don't that. know they may have just done a whole series of or they did a whole bunch of shows. Yeah. And took notes. And finally when they decide, you know, they may have done it in Europe or somewhere else that was unannounced uh, because this 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 album was actually taken from two performances. Okay and uh the, most of it was from like i, uh, I want to say like somewhere in virginia it, it's i remember it's in the liner sure. notes it's two shows and so they, i think they took the best cuts from from two yeah. performances which there goes to show you know it wasn't just one whole show right
0: i think they i think i read someplace that there were like 64 tracks that they recorded
1: yeah all live boom there yeah. it is there's no, hey, let's try that again. Right. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> and yeah. If they had, you know, we don't know. This was before the digital age. They could have stopped in a song and told the audience, hey, we're going to try that again. Um, I,
0: I totally remember being in college and following, like, the dead and widespread panic around. And, right. in and, and Soul Hat and getting, like, all of these, like, I just got a second generation. And it was all the dat stuff that
1: was cool. Oh, yeah. Archive.org.
0: Yeah. I mean he Joe goes on to say, you know, I wanna clear up a couple myths about this, you know. Basically says, you know, the audience was forbidden to make a noise, but that he just wanted them to to be uh uh quiet until they knew it was over. And then uh, myth two is that it was a double missing a side, but it was just three sides worth. It was three sides worth and it was right. like the first time they could
1: do something on C D so they could fill up the whole C D. Right. But I And you f- know, the other thing though is uh uh why this this particular album is out of print and they never reprinted it or kind of put it back into the catalog um i i'm astounded because i think of all of his records it's by far the deepest yeah both musically and lyrically you know uh the the topics from song to song in big world it's some pretty heady stuff yeah and uh it's it's a really accurate snapshot of humanity, whether it be politically driven or just how people are Um, and, and our proclivities and our, our stereotypes and all this stuff put into this record this way. I, I just, it really, I really loved it. It really spoke to me. That's awesome. Yeah. I have,
0: you know, I'll go ahead and say it right now. You know, my cliche as it sounds, Keith Richards is my hero. Oh, right. That's nothing cliché about okay. that, man. Yeah, but anyway, you know, I know that, that I, I picked one of my records because I had to have a Stones record. You know, that's end the story and I've got a whole story behind that. That's not that's not important though. What's important is that I'm curious if one of these people
1: that you've picked is one of your heroes. I would probably say uh, Yeah, I would I would have to say Pat Metheny. Okay. I didn't know if you were gonna say Bill Stewart. Mm-mm. I love Bill Stewart. <laughs> I absolutely love Bill Stewart. Um, there's, uh, there's something singular about his playing. Um, that you know, I am not well versed enough in jazz theory to tell you the actual breakdown of what he's doing. I'm a nor, drummer. Nor am I. I'm a drummer who took theory only because I had to. (laughs) Um, That's fair. But there's something about um, when I hear him play, a lot of times, again, the melodies to a lot of songs that he plays are readily accessible. They're not way out. It's not like Sun Ra. Yeah. You know, it's readily accessible. And... Um, he has this fluidity about his playing that I haven't heard in other guitar players. And he's like the one, he's the guy that I really dug in when it came to listening to improvisational stuff. And then I went yeah. backwards. Right. You know, then I went, to, you know, it's strange to say, it's just because of the age I was when I discovered him. And I, I was going to high school in a small town in Texas. So I wasn't exposed to a lot of great stuff. Uh, But only through my brother bringing stuff in. And so then I went back and discovered (sighs) at later dates, you know, Coltrane, Mm -hmm. Miles Davis. You know, the list goes on and on of the amazing jazz players that were out there. And, you know, we look back now, Metheny kind of belongs in that pantheon of great musicians. He really does. He's... uh, you go from Bright size life to the last albums he's done, and you listen to the musical departures he's taken along the way, the things that he's done that are, you know, several years ago he did a live concert where he had an entire robotic band behind him. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know what that is. It was, he was a one-man band. Was it tracks? No, it was levers and pulleys that actuated stuff and made sounds and played to get gu- strummed a guitar or hit a drum or played yo yeah wow and uh he did a few t- a few shows of that but of course you would not have wanted to be a roadie on that game. no <laughs> yeah. right uh well yeah, i love was- how the album starts with wild west you know it's
0: just like that acoustic sounding guitar and it gets in that kind of that poppy i, I felt like I was listening to The Smithereens back in the 80s.
1: If it wasn't for the fact that Joe Jackson was singing on that, you would have never thought a British band was doing that no. song. Yeah. No, I know. It was cool. And that album, you know, it's great because, like, again, song to song, things go, you know, it goes from Tango Atlantico, this mm-hmm. beautiful tango. Um, Jet Set is one of my favorite ones. So good. Um, uh, the song Big World. uh, Um, Oh, strange how the world got so small. What's the name of that song? Uh, I have the album and I can't remember the title. Uh,
0: We Can't Live Together starts off so Mm -hmm. mellow with just the bass and then this chorus of like gushing vocals.
1: Oh, and it's just that beautiful, nasty Joe Jackson. We can't live together. uh, (laughs) It's
0: so good. And then
1: 40 years
0: when it came out, I felt like I was listening to a musical.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no right. it is. I, yeah. I was just
0: like I'm looking listening to like Chicago or something.
1: No, and that's why I said it's it's a pretty it's a pretty broad album mm-hmm. musically. And in that song 40 years where I come
0: from they don't like Americans too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they think the we're so rude, so yeah. tasteless yeah. Yeah. and so out
1: of touch. And it's you know, I've been to Europe a lot and I've seen I understand why they feel that way. Yeah, a lot of Texans do that. Well, I mean, America is an amazing place. I am a proud American. Um, We need to somehow figure out to find a place of humility. And I think a lot of Americans conflate the term humility with humiliation. And they don't mean the same thing at all. You can find humility through humiliation, but it's really painful. Or you can that is find beautiful. I love it. You can find humility by saying, "Where do I fit in in the world? Where am I right sized? Yeah. What is my place in the world?" And I think a lot of times in America, a, a, a percentage of our population says, "We're American, no questions asked. Deal with it." Yeah. And it's hard to maintain and foster long-term allies with that kind of behavior. We are on the same page.
0: You know, I feel that's the same thing as, like, when Texans go up to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Rated right up there.
1: Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a, I am was born in Texas. I'm a native. I can, you know. I, I, I call I, myself a <laughs>
0: seventh-generation Texan because uh, I, I can track it to four, mm-hmm. but because James Bond's one of my other heroes, I always like <laughs> to just say seven. <laughs> 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 uh so how would you describe the difference with this and other joe
1: jackson records oh again i you know (coughs) i think with this album (coughs) excuse me this album is thematic okay there is an overarching storyline from beginning to end of this song and all these songs play a part in the big world. Uh, the other albums, I you know, wonderful records. Yeah. Great songs. But it doesn't have that same kind of appeal to, for, for me. Okay. I like the fact that it's like you put this record on and go beginning to end. And it's this unfolding story. Right. Going from song to song to song. And it, it all pertains to what the album title is. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, that's what how I see it. Not that that's right.
0: It's <laughs> a, hey man, it's it's right enough for me. Okay, so London calling the
1: clash. Oh, the okay, best record that came out of that generation.
0: Greatest rock and roll album of that generation. Sure they're a punk band, but so much more. Oh. Now, have you ever listened to a podcast called Stay Free? No chuck d narrates it it's like six episodes and it's all about the clash no way it's awesome okay it's truly awesome i'll I'll send you a link to it um but uh it, it, it i loved it so this was released as a double album uh 79 in the uk consistently rakes upon the you know top 100 for the rolling stones so my question is when did you first hear this record and how did you know it would affect you like it did
1: i heard this record probably uh Right after it came out, I was a little kid. Yeah. My brother was a teenager in high school. We were living in Athens, Greece. And my dad had bought my brother a boom box. And that was like one of the first... He he bought that. They was able to get it on uh, Cassette. cassettes. And wore it out. And then finally found it on vinyl. I, I can... Uh, I can literally tell you that I have worn out two copies of this on vinyl
0: (laughs) that's great I know
1: every song out like the back of my hand it's just uh, this you know I've always loved punk music I saw you when I walked up and I saw you wearing your Ramones shirt I saw the Ramones in Dallas I never saw them with and this little unknown band at the time opening up from called the New Bohemians. Never heard of them either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the weirdest thing, it was like at Gillies. It was like at a country yeah. one of the big country places. And the Ramones, the, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. The Ramones were fantastic. I
0: actually for my band, my band's called
1: the Big Gun Show, and so I did.
0: I basically ripped off the this whole thing right fantastic. here. Fantastic. I, I put like Austin, Texas, the Big Gun Show around it. You know, right on. Um, I mean there's such an influence on everybody and I agreed you know I mean punk is is decently simple and it's 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 so much it's got so much energy and so much like emotion in
1: it well you know it it was born out of a you know th- there in England out of really bad bad inequities going on yeah uh there was a lot of uh a lot of people being marginalized mhm being put out, pushed out to the side, and this music came along, and it was all born from attitude. Yeah, they, no, they were totally just like, "Fuck that. you, we're not dealing with this anymore." Yeah, who cares if they weren't the greatest players in the world? There, man. When you listen to Nevermind the Bullocks mm-hmm. by the Sex Pistols, right? Um, wow, yeah, that's powerful. It is. They're it, not the greatest players in the world, oh, but oh. those songs, and you know. There were so many great punk bands. I I loved. I was I was totally into a lot of that growing up. Right. I really was. Yeah. But this band to me, uh, especially when this album came out, they really kind of expanded their horizons musically. Um, Agreed. It's this is not a punk record. No, it's not a punk record. And not at all. And even though the Clash was called a punk band back in those times, they were they were way bigger than that genre could hold. Yep uh musically um you know like i said i i they were witty they were clever they were bawdy um uh, it was just uh, sometimes the words just fail me i just i just i'm such a super fan of that band
0: yeah well i mean i don't know how you can't be to be honest um but you know joe and mick they were having writer's block hadn't written a song in like uh, something like a year and then they showed up at vanilla studios and in a matter of months you know they had this new epic record right yeah. you know guy I, I love the whole guy story steven's story about, about this he, he was a total alcoholic and speed freak that the band just had to have him right <laughs> and so did you know this um no one knew where guy was and they were like we have to have guy. we have to have guys so joe strummer had to go to all the pubs and look to where he he had been rumored to hang out and he finally found him you know looking a lot older and first thing he does is have a drink, and Strummer was like, "Yes, I will." And um, London Calling was off and running,
1: and that's how punk rock punk rock record gets made. Yes, exactly <laughs> right. Well,
0: the, there was also stories about him like, you know, wasted in the studio and just like going throwing ladders over and jumping over chairs just to like get the mood right. Right. All right. You ready for the next quiz quest question? Yes. Okay. Who was on the cover of the record London Calling?
1: That's just a No, it's not.
0: It was Paul Simonson, the bassist. He was doing his bass. And um, can you tell me the reason? Next quiz question. Can you tell me the reason why Paul was demolishing his guitar? A, he was fed up with Mick and Joe getting all the attention. B, he was frustrated that bouncers would not let audiences stand up out of their seats. Or uh, C, he always wanted a Gibson SG bass. I think it's B. (laughs) Good work, good work, John You're doing great here (laughs) Um, So what I love about the the, the front cover is It's that photograph of him It's it's a Fender P bass that he's he's smashing And you know, it was like taken really quick And so it was like kind of fuzzy And then they have like the letters going down Like the Elvis Presley kind of like On the left-hand side, on the right-hand side I just thought it was was really cool Um, And Simonson Explained in an in interview in 2011 with Fender that he smashed the bass out of frustration when he learned that the bouncers of the concerts would not allow audience members to stand up out of their seats. I wasn't taking on the bass guitar because there wasn't anything wrong with it. <laughs> 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 so, I love that story. And, yeah, you definitely got to listen to Stay Free. It's really cool. Oh, uh, right on. No, but, the, you know, that's uh, also top her head and, that was my, <laughs> the question I want to ask you. What um, do you think about him as a drummer?
1: Oh, fantastic. You know, um, uh, I mean, you know, again, it kind of shows my narrow scope that I had as far as the, the volume of music I had access to back then. But, you know, I learned how to play 12 eight grooves listening to this song. I learned how to play... Uh, the song "Wrong on Boyo," mm-hmm. which is a ska tune. Yes, learned is like oh okay, you know that's got that kind of it's got kind of that ska groove to it. Um, uh, the Guns of Brixton, you know. Uh, uh, okay, here the song I'm looking for. Uh, well, okay,
0: hold on. How about yeah. this? Record Guide called it the best double album since Rolling Stones' *Exile on Main Street*. This was in, what, 79, 78? 79. And then, uh, so Exile was in 72. I think that's a pretty good ac- uh,
1: comment. I, uh... I, it's... In my top five albums of all time, so I think it's better. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, the reason I, 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 I love Exile too. Yeah. I was sitting with this guy one time, this was like probably 20 years ago, and he, we were sitting there, and this guy was like, Can to introduce you to this guy? And so he's like, Yeah, you know, when I interview somebody for a job, you know, I always say, You know, what's your fa- favorite Stones album? I said, Well, what, what's yours? And he said, Exile. I said, Well, you're wrong. <laughs> and he, said, he looked at me like that, and, and I was like, There's no such thing as the greatest Stones album. They're all epic. Uh, and the guy that was with bought me there he, on the way back, it was it was a freeze. And we were going over that bridge at Lamar. Right. And he's like, You can't say that to him, blah blah blah. blah. And I, I was like, dude, I was joking around. And right when he was doing that to me, he, we were going over the bridge that it iced over. His truck started doing this, and he went <laughs> right to <into> the side. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I, I'm sure he thought I was a dick, but man, I, I couldn't help but laugh.
1: Uh working for the clamp down. That song. Yes. I mean that song and "Death or Glory." Oh, they're just well, rocks. Those are like anthemic rock and roll songs. Yeah, but it's
0: just like they're, they're again they're showcasing the fact that they're not just a punk band. You know, right? They're doing all this other stuff. They're doing the the, the the true rock and roll. They're doing the ska stuff. They're I mean they're doing a lot of stuff on this album that's just you don't see that a lot. Like right. my next that album. That, just enough to get pressed on vinyl. It's called Honky Rock because we've been playing Jenny's for like eight years. Right on. And so first half is going to be side H. It's going to be Honky Talk. Flip It Over, Rock and Roll. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Right on. Ginger Lee is helping me with the artwork.
1: Very cool. Yeah. You know, and they had, uh, uh, there was just so many great songs on this. I mean, there, there's not a bad song on this album in my mind. Um you know Training Vane was like the, the one single that was on here. Yeah. You London know?
0: Calling was a single, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I think I think it was a single, but I think Training Vane was like the big one that that you stand by your man. Right. Tell me something. You understand. So good. But then I guess there was a, it also got some radio play with Lost was it Lost in the Supermarket? Was oh, it well, another one?
0: Yeah, I was I was going through it like cuz on Spotify you can look and see like who wrote right. it and stuff like that just cuz I'm being a songwriter, I, would, that's, I
1: always wanted to know who wrote the song. Uh, so there's got to have been other people that picked this record. Uh, no. 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 I'm ashamed of... I don't, I don't I'm think ashamed. so. I don't think so. Wow. Um, I, that actually,
0: I, I think I lied. Oh, yeah? I think I lied. Who Let's was see. it? Um, Kevin McKinney picked it.
1: Fuck yeah, Kevin McKinney, you rock. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I knew I couldn't be all by myself on this Uh, record.
0: Well, so it got like insane reviews, you know. Um, uh, Rolling Stone said the the romance of rock and roll rebellion, uh, you know, adding that it's the vast engaging and enduring enough to leave listeners not just exhilarated but exalted and triumphantly alive. And then there were some other more critical reviews. Of course, Uh, Gary Bischel, in his review for Sound, said giving the record a two out of five stars while claiming The Clash had retrogressed to Rolling Stone-style outlaw imagery and tired old rock cliches. Who the hell is that guy? And where is he now? (laughs) In the gutter. (laughs) Down on 6th Street, probably. Reminds me of
1: the Spinal Tap. They go, currently residing in the Where Are They Now? Now files.
0: (laughs) What a classic movie, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like I I had the got the DVD of Spinal Tap. I've got it, and you, that uh, the outtakes. Yeah, oh my
1: God, Bruno so Kirby, <laughs> the Bruno Kirby outtakes are the best on that man. They're so good. <laughs> oh, I mean, all, all Jason and uh, some of that stuff. like you, you wonder why they cut it out.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, I the whole like uh, even more Cleveland Cleveland stuff. It was so good. It was. Well, so to, where can people find you online, John?
1: Oh, well, you know, I I don't really have a big online presence. Um, I have a website. Um, I'm getting ready to get a lot more to that. I've been doing so much session work lately and uh, just doing some brilliant records with some folks that have been really fun. Uh, By the way, I love it. You play with Kelly McWee. Oh, I you know, um, the Trishas were doing their thing and they had asked me to come out when their drummer, you know, uh couldn't make it and um i went out and played a couple shows and kelly and i were sitting out by the pool at a hotel on one of those runs and uh, you know all those girls were insanely talented yeah but there was something about kelly the way she sung that just Mm -hmm. got to me so i just told her i said look if you ever do a solo project you better call me to play drums for you and so she did and she went and made an album in, in Memphis then came back and started doing a lot Another of, girl. playing a lot of, yeah, it's a, it's a great record. And then we ended up doing that record with Colin. Uh, and I just love her. I, I just love her as a human being. Um, I love the way she sings. Um, she's got a heart of gold. Totally. And uh, uh, yeah, she you was know, just one of the many people that I've been so blessed to meet and right. doing music. And, uh, you know... My, my buddy Sean Pander and my buddy Gabriel Rhodes uh-huh. just, Gabe was mo- mostly engineering and Sean was producing and they had me play drums on it for this, this girl named Hannah Asher out of California, who's 17. Okay. And she, the album's not out yet. We've just finished it and it just, I just went over and listened to the mixes last night and my jaw was dropping. Awesome. Um, this girl, because is... of your drums, right? No, no, come no. on! It was because your this drums. Girl's... No, your the drums. drums are good. And the drums are great. The drums are good. They serve the <laughs> tune. But this, this, this girl is light years beyond her age, both in her songwriting and in her singing.
0: What's her name again?
1: It's uh, her first name. She has. I don't know if she has any president. Hannah Asher, and we did this record with her, and you know her whole family came with her out from Southern California.
0: 17 years old
1: and they were just the most wonderful people they were so sweet and so nice and uh, then just finished this album with this n- another amazing songwriter who's really starting to get some acclaim in the singer-songwriter world uh from outside of boston named grace morrison okay and that's more traditional kind of country folk stuff and and walt wilkins produced it okay and but well, walt but you know on that record it was uh, rich brotherton playing guitar mm-hmm. and glenn Fukunaga on bass so yeah, I was those like, I, are just okay. I walked in and I was like, oh, I'm definitely the weak link yeah. in this session. <laughs> have you ever seen any of those Terry Allen shows that he does at the Paramount? Mm-hmm. I mean, that band. Yeah, it's insane.
0: Lloyd Baines.
1: I know. Sexton, I know. And so, uh, F- Fukunaga. It's, Ruka. uh, Buck up played keys on our, on our record. We're so lucky to have, you know, this wellspring of amazing talent in this town. And you can go out and see great music pretty much every night. Every night. Yeah. Every night people are like, it's getting pretty crowded there. And I was like, you think I care? Yeah. I'm going to go out and see music every night. Right. And, uh, you know, I know things are tough right now. You know. are getting uh, better. A lot of musicians have had to uh, leave Austin because of the price. It's getting mm-hmm. more and more expensive. And it's, and it's unfortunate. There's nothing that can be done about it. Yep. It's, it, you know, we're L.A. in the 50s. Or New York at the yep. turn of the 20th century. This is the place where everybody in America wants to come right now in the and world, it, and it's going to just keep, you know, will be a, a city of like the size of Houston in 20 years. I, I agree, and I think
0: that um, San Antonio and Austin are going to merge, just be a big metroplex. <laughs> it's it's going to be the Austin San Antonio metroplex. It right? will be.
1: I mean, it already has. There's no, there's no country left between the two cities. Uh, right. It's all settled now. It's, it's been officially joined. Who are you playing with these days? oh you know i've still been resentments yeah i mean that that the gig's been so amazing and those guys are all those guys in my band in that band are kind of mentors to me uh they've all been super encouraging to me on a bunch of different levels musically as well as being great friends um but that's been 20 21 years now and uh planking it horn was my first podcast oh jeff is he's, he's such a great guy i love jeff yeah so did he stresses out too much, but I Does love. Does he bless his heart? <laughs> I was telling him, just calm down. Everything will be all right, yeah. brother. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> it's not going to kill you. That's <laughs> why worry about it. But I, I, he's he's so super talented, and uh, but everybody in that band's been great. So you know, I've still been doing that. Um, been playing uh, a lot with a uh, an Italian artist named Julie Melanta. And Julia's super talented. In fact, uh, she just wrote on Facebook: she's in Italy visiting. Back home, and she's had a book published. Wow! In Italy, she does everything. She was a doctor and got tired of doing that. And she's been doing music, and she's got many, many. I think she has got nine or ten albums out. She's been super busy. Uh, when I can playing with Kelly, don't yeah. get to do it enough. She's, you know, she left Shiny Ribs and is trying to get her thing going. So she should a lot absolutely, and so a lot of times she's going out there, sl- quits on radio, slinging it out there with her and a guitar. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I hope that there'll be an opportunity to play with her more. I think um, there will be. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you guys should get a bass player. Okay, could happen. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying.
0: Well, hey, man, thank like a, you so much for coming out today. This I was such a it guest. It's super fun, right? It kinda, oh, it's, a, it's a total blast. I always try to tell people go listen to those records again before you before you come in here because it also it often just like sparks something new. Oh, I remember this, or you know, this is the reason why I love this album. I smelled. When I was play, I chose Black and Black because I remember being listening to it in the locker room before a football game
1: to get psyched up. Whatever right, it is, you know, right. I just love hearing that kind of stuff. So, has anybody ever interviewed about your five records?
0: No, but I'm gonna have somebody do that this year.
1: I'm gonna do it. You wanna do it? Yeah, you're. you're I'm gonna. You're in. I'm going to go home. I know the Wilco record. I know the Willie record. I know Let It Bleed. I only know a couple of tracks. Oh, the Jet that record. I, I love that. And record. I don't know that particular Freddie King record.
0: So that oh my. So wait I'm, until you I'm, listen to that one, and then if you go back and listen to Jet Get Born. Uh, it has got all sorts of influences Beatles, Rolling Stones, ACDC, Hendrix. Oasis. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, got, yeah. it's got all of that.
1: All right. And that was their first record. And then I'll come and I'll, uh, I'm going to interview you about Done. your five records. Done. We'll do it. All right. Awesome. I, I like it. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, man. This was a blast.
0: Incredible. Just flat out incredible. So fun to talk to John today. Um, I loved his story about um, how Americans are, need, need more humility and the difference of humility and humiliation. Um, but yeah, you can find him on his website, and if you've got the gumption, head on over to thebiggunshow.com. Check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, all with the same handle of the Big Gun Show Band. That's the at the beginning, band at the end. And when COVID is finally away. Our most consistent gig is our monthly residency at the Little Longhorse Saloon, a.k.a. Jenny's, here in Austin, home of Chicken Shit Bingo. And we play Happy Hour, first Friday of every month. I recommend bringing Grandma. She'll have a blast. Close your eyes. You're at the Grand Canyon again. What five records do you have? Until next time. Mexico! Stoned again.